Hallelujah. Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you for your amazing grace. And we, we love you so much. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate all of you being here and everyone that's watching and uh, going with us on this journey. It means so much. Uh, every little thing you do helps us. Every You're giving, you're praying, you're standing with us, you're being here, and we appreciate it so much. Candy and I love you, and uh, it's our heart's desire to continue to serve the body of Christ as we serve the Lord. We're just doing everything that we know to do and being taught of how to go in. This is, a, this is my first time uh, to live this life and seek God for a revival. I don't know. I, I don't think you've probably been through this in another life. So we're, we've got grace because God is giving us that grace, and he, he knows this is our first go-around on this. Um, we are like, what would you call, uh, first-class what do they call that? Like the beginning, the you know the the pilot. You're we're the pilot group. I, yeah, pioneer pioneer class. Now there was classes before us, like on the day of Pentecost and going forward. And then there has been periodic revivals where people broke through. Uh, but in the last since Azusa Street, um, and you know like which was 120 years ago or whatever. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of pilot classes where, you know, I just wish I, I'd really like, I'd be so neat if there was somebody that was way more developed than us. And they were, if they were getting people miraculously healed like 50% of the time or 75% of the time, they'd be, you know, and if they didn't have some cry, some kind of squirrely, crazy doctrine you know i'm not <laughs> but as long as they preach christ and baptism and and you know colored within the within the with the lines uh i'd go and study under them and and say amen to them but we're all together shoulder to shoulder uh, you know you you may look at me or somebody else and say well you know that's my pastor i appreciate whatever you you know, whatever respect that God, God elevates. But in the same sense, we're just so close together in all of this, those that are seeking the Lord. So there's not anybody that's way, 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 way out in front. And uh, I'm saying all that to say this, let's keep at it together. We really have something to win here. And there's something inside of me that believes, and you've heard me say this time and time again, that once we get the breakthrough, it's going to be easier to duplicate. It really will. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe the blueprint prophecies also share that as well. But what we have to say, um, and what comes from this pulpit from myself and others, and... Um, this I, I realize we're swimming upstream in the sense of drawing a crowd the message we have doesn't it's not the right message to draw crowds until we get the fruit of it and gary sent me a text uh, earlier this week and said man he loved the message on sunday he said that although that message is right and we believe it you know the message of what was the title? Uh, uh, promotion to the death sentence. <laughs> the, even the title doesn't sound real good. <laughs> so we understand that ourselves and we believe it. We understand that it's not a physical death. It's a dying to self-ambition and self-aspirations and, and dreams and, and that, that do not line up with what he's asked us to do and i i will say that to the world and to most of the church that sounds 
ridiculous. <clears throat> I mean, just being an, an American, one of our so-called constitutional rights, and, and, and I agree with it in spirit, is the pursuit of happiness, but not to excess in the kingdom of God. It's like, well, that's going to make me happy, so I'm going to do it, or I'm going to choose to you know, live where I want to live, have the job I want to have, irregardless of instruction from the Lord um, to spend more time with God, I'm just going to pursue my own happiness. And so that's where the, that's the trek of most of the church. And we're kind of teaching the opposite. So until the fruit come along, what's the fruit? The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. When that comes along, I don't believe that it's going to be any stopping them from coming in. Jesus taught, I'll say that, Jesus didn't teach our doctrine. We're trying to teach his doctrine. And his doctrine was a self-denial, dying to self doctrine. But he had the fruit. He had the major miracles. So it didn't matter where he, you know, he could go out in the wilderness. No uh, Porta Johns out there. No chuck wagons to meet you out there. And thousands, the first, the 5,000 feeding was a probably closer to 20,000 when you consider men, women, and children. And they had to walk a day or so journey to get out there. But the, the man had something that they wanted. And he, he demonstrated it. And uh, so that's where we're headed. We're headed to a place that no matter how laborious our doctrine sounds on the flesh, people will want it. And, and they'll, they'll crave it because they'll see the fruits. They'll, they'll see the, the power of it. Let me read, and you can read along with me, but we started out Sunday morning with this verse, and we'll go back to it again tonight for just a, a brief moment. It's in uh, Galatians chapter 2. And verse 20, and Paul said this of himself, and we're saying this now of ourselves by faith. I am crucified with Christ. Now that's not just a one-time situation. It is a continual daily walk of being crucified. I am crucified with Christ. But amazing, he says this, nevertheless, yes, you know, crucifixion is meant for death, right? It kills the person. If you naturally crucifixion, there's a hundred percent, there's no survival rate. It always means death. For the one who says, I am crucified with Christ, meaning placing my... Um, my life in a place where I die to him, that I am dying to self. There's a clarification that needs to be made here, and I think we've tried to make it before in the past, but it's very important that we, we speak about it a little bit here tonight. I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless. Nevertheless, even though I, I die daily or I have put myself on the cross with Christ, I live. In other words, he doesn't want just zombies walking around, brainless, all of us looking like and being like each other. We've all got our individuality, our personality. And at the same time, I, I want to clarify when I talk about our aspirations or our dreams or everything that we are, has to be submitted to Christ. That doesn't mean he goes and takes an eraser and just erases everything when you submit to him and says, no, you can't have anything. You're supposed to just follow me and be in church 24-7, pray 24-7. You have no life. You have no, there's no, you shouldn't have any ambitions. You should have, that's not what this is saying. The word tells us he gives us the desires of our heart. And that doesn't mean that we come up with desires. The proper meaning of that is he's the one that puts the desires in us. And then, of course, he fulfills those desires. 
So our spiritual desire is this, is that we want to receive a revival because he's placed that within our hearts to receive this revival. But you're still an individual, and he wants you to be an individual. And there's a lot of things that are sanctified in your life. There's ambitions that have come to the cross, and he says, okay, that ambition is from me. That dream is from me. What you'd like to accomplish that is from me. It's not like he takes his and just erases everything and says, no, you, you can't have any aspirations. You can't have any ambition. But everything has to be submitted to him. Everything has to be crucified. So anything that we are doing, we can look at and say, that godly pleasure or that godly ambition, that has been through the cross. It has passed through the, the crucifixion and it's on the other side with me. So that the life that I'm living, it's not my life, but it's Christ's life in me. Because he's sanctified. He said, yes, that can live. Yes, my first objective of your life is that you serve me spiritually and that you keep going forward. But there, there's things that you may want to do for your family. There's, there's businesses that he puts puts in people's hearts to to create for the betterment of society or the betterment of the kingdom and those dreams he places within them but if they go to the cross if, if if our life is before the cross either they'll live or die based on our crucifixion and if we're crucified and they live then he anoints those things to be blessed by him as we're going forward so it's not like he wants zombies, brainless zombies that just don't have any ambition in life or don't have any dreams or don't have. We should be the people that are filled with the most ambitious dreams, but they've come to the cross. They've come through crucifixion. It's like when we're talking about them, they won't divert us from prayer. They won't keep us from the Christ life. They won't take us out of prayer but they will provide more opportunity for prayer if we're doing what we need to be doing and living like we should. So Paul said, I am crucified. Yes, I am put to death, but even though I'm put to death, I live. But really, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I li that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. So praise the Lord. So we understand that our dying causes us. It's right back to the scripture. We won't turn there, but we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Sunday when Paul was talking about that the death that works in us produces life. And I said we wouldn't go there, but I have to read that correctly. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because I, I was trying to, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, after he went through all those things that we had read. But we have this, let, let's look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's us dying to him. We're troubled on every side. We, we've broke this down before and did Sunday, so we're not going to go into all these. Yet, not distressed. We're perplexed. Wow, I don't know what to do right now, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And this is the verse. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we live that dying process, which I am crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, on a continual basis. And we're continually turning our heart. Every, everything's measured by our walk with him. So something, okay, here's, let's put this in practicality. Somebody invites you somewhere. Somebody, somebody wants to give you something. Let's say somebody wants to, uh, I, I didn't think any of this thing through, so let me, let me listen. Let's say somebody wants to give you a boat, a nice boat. Let's say you are maxed out in your life right now. You're, you're, you're following Jesus, but you're 
based on your family, your workload, and what he's instructed you to do, um, and you're doing it, but it's taking you, you're having to get up early, get those hours in, whether that's an hour, two hours, and you squeeze out. I mean, that's it. You don't have there. You literally. Some people, I guess, have plenty of time. I I have to watch everything to get in what I'm supposed to be getting in time-wise in Christ and anything else that is allowable in my life. So I'm not trying to make this personal. I'm just trying to give you an illustration. So let's say somebody wants to give you a boat or pay your way on a vacation, 10 days someplace. Those sound like blessings. But do you know that in all of anything that comes your way as a blessing, you've got to check on it first? You've got to say, okay, wow, that'd be great, but let's see, if I get... And I'm not against boats. Some of you may be fixing to buy a boat. I'm, maybe you've got that. <laughs> they say uh, boats are something, it's like pouring water into, I mean, pouring money into, you know, well, I don't know how, you know, I don't want to run you. If you're going to buy a boat, God bless you if you've sanctified it. But I've got, let's see, when can I squeeze this in? Well, uh, my Saturdays, he's asked me to uh, pray up till noon or I, I work so hard all week. I've just got that three hour window on Saturdays. I can put that. But what what when can I use the boat? Let's see. Um, I, you know, maybe I could just maybe I could cut an hour and a half off that prayer and have a couple of hours to go put it in the lake or go put it in the river. Maybe, maybe that's not your scenario. Maybe you've got a bigger block of time and maybe he'll say, okay, you can have the boat. But do you understand that every blessing, maybe he said, I need for you to really buckle down because something's coming in your life and you need to really pray really hard for the next two months. And somebody comes up and says, you know what? God said to me, here's a bunch of money. For you to go to the mountains. Well, I'll take the money, but I might not go to the mountains. <laughs> you got to look. Listen, we know when a hard, when something hard comes, those are easy peasies to say. Oh no, he's trying to beat me. This sickness coming about at my body, or that attack. You know, some something happened with somebody, and you got you feel discouraged. That attack. Those are things that are easy. They don't have to really be crucified too much. Well, you got to forgive, so that that qualifies. But it's the offers of, and again, please hear me. He may let you have two boats. I don't know. I'm just trying to put an example that the blessings that come into your life may not be, it may be something but everything that is, no matter what, you, you, you got this, this I do know. Before you answer, or before you, you may start it out 10 years ago and said, boy, if I ever save up enough, I'm gonna, I am going to buy me a nice offshore boat if, I'm gonna, if I could ever. Well, you may get the money, and now you've grown enough that he says, you know what? <laughs> You're going to be spending every Saturday in that thing and, and, and once during the week. See, when you, here's the thing about getting stuff. Once you get stuff, then you've got to use it. You've got to use the stuff. Because if you don't use it, then you're, you know, I mean, why would you buy it? Then you're a bad steward. So I'm not wanting anybody to, I don't want you. <laughs> well, you, you got into this, Pastor. I'm trying to get out of it. <laughs> I'm just telling you, everything you have to look at, every gift horse you have to look in the mouth and say, you know, they, that's an old saying. You look, you lift their lips and you see, they say, here's your horse. Where'd they ever get that from? They would, somebody give somebody a horse. Oh, this is a great blessing. You know, you look, you pull them lips back, those big jaws, you look in there. Oh, this horse is about ready to die. <laughs> this is an old horse. How do you know? No teeth. 
So the old-timers would say, just take the gift. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Crucify with Christ, we have to look every blessing in the mouth. Well, I want to give you a, a summer home in Sama Sama. You mean up there in them hills where the deer's at in the, oh my God. You are an angel of darkness. Because <laughs> if I get it, I'm going to use it. And then some people may be given something by God and they can use it properly. But our coming to Christ is, and some, whatever lives past the cross, enjoy it in its fullness. Okay? Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal bodies. What does that mean? Life, when they come to you, when they come to me, how can... How can not accepting an opportunity in your life, a bigger paying job, a greater blessing, a, a, a piece of property that you, you'd, you'd need to go and attend to, how can saying, okay, can, I, can, I, can you give me a few days to pray on this? Can, can I wait on this opportunity? Because everything now as a revivalist, I'm not talking, Gary said, like Gary said, this message, this message won't bring in the crowd. Not now. But we're headed to a place where life will be manifest in our mortal body. In other words, we walk up and we say to the person, and they say, uh, I need a healing. And we deliver it because the manifestation of life flows through our, our mortal body. Well, how does that work? Well, it works... It works by us humbling ourselves, continually humbling ourselves and saying, okay, I hear the message, I will do the message. Now that means different to every single one of you and all of you are watching. I don't want to cookie cutter anybody and say, I don't even want to imply um, how much time or this, that, and the other in the sense that I don't want to put a measuring stick on your life. But every single one of us have a place of obedience. Well, ha Pastor, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? Well, he'll talk to us. He talks to us. But I love, you can improve on how Pastor Dave used to say, he said the will of God grows like a, like a tree. It, it grows towards uh, the sunshine. It grows towards the mind of Christ. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were asking me certain things, and I said, you know what? concerning this issue you probably are not going to hear god say do this or don't do this you may i said you can listen but because this is such a big event such a significant event it's your life it should grow as you continue to spend time now i said you know god will give you instruction after you after you make the decision but it should grow like a tree in other words as you continue to pray in tongues, the will of God gravitates to where inside of you, you can't dismiss it. I told them, I said, and I, 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 I can't remember. I don't know. Maybe he'll make, uh, wake up my... I don't know that I ever remember during all that time where I said that the Lord changed me and brought me down. I can't remember him saying, go to Immokalee. I don't... All I remember is inside of me, I couldn't do anything different. That's the voice of God. That's the mind of Christ. If you're waiting sometimes on, I need a voice. The voice will be the gravitation of, you've, once you pray something in existence, it's pregnant. You're pregnant, male or female. You're pregnant on the inside. Of the, it's in there. And you can't deny it. You can say, no, I, I, I didn't hear his voice. Oh, yeah, you're hearing his voice on a daily basis. By, by humbling yourself 
and doing what he's he's asked us to do. Hallelujah. Go with me to Luke chapter four. Because we're going to look at just, you know, crucifying ourselves is humbling ourselves. I want to go ahead and make that point because we're going to talk about humbling ourselves and how important that is and some scriptural examples in regard to that. Well, no, we're going we're gonna to bypass Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And we're going to bypass the temptations, which are in the first part of um, chapter 4. And then we're going to get down to where he actually comes back out of the wilderness and he actually begins his earthly ministry. One of the first places that he goes after his, first, his earthly beginning of his earthly ministry, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, going into the wilderness, going through those temptations... Far more than three, but three examples of everything that was was uh, that came against him. Then the word says in verse fourteen that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogue, being glorified of all, and he came to Nazareth. Now. Everybody know what Na Jesus of Nazareth, he grew up in, in Nazareth. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, as his custom was, meaning the word custom is, is uh, comparable to the word habit. It was Jesus's habit to go to church, to go to the synagogue. And so the synagogue really um, was the church. You know, the temple in Jerusalem was the headquarters, of course. But every major city had a synagogue. And so the synagogue was the church. And it wasn't like that there would be multiple synagogues in a, especially a small city. But there would be one major main synagogue. And everybody, all the Jewish people, went to that synagogue. And so the, the word says here... Because I want you to get a picture of this and what happens here and how it's relevant to um, our subject of humility and humbling ourselves and the, in retrospect what was the example of the exact opposite and much of where the church is falls into to this as we'll give example in just a little bit. But the word says that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So, first of all, I want you to understand that th this, is the, this is the town where Jesus grew up. This is the synagogue where he grew up. Okay? So, he probably studied there as a, a young Jewish boy. Uh, once he, you know, went through his... Um, bar mitzvah once he went through all of the the jewish ordinations of a, as, as a young man um then he grew up in nazareth and probably grew up in this synagogue i don't know if the rabbi was the same rabbi that he grew up under but i want you to understand that as you think through this this is the church where he grew up the people that he is going to read to that day and say some things to today that day are not strangers they're very familiar with him he was there when he was 10 years old you know five years old six years old seven years old eight years old a teenager he grew up it was his custom to go into this synagogue so everybody knew him everybody knew him these were not hostile to him as he got older, he didn't start his earthly ministry. He wasn't baptized by John until, until around the age 30. So he was a carpenter. He you know, helped his, his earthly father, um, Joseph. And uh, he probably built things for people in there. He may have worked on their house. He may have built some furniture for them. He may have, so this, these are familiar people. 
they're familiar to him. He's familiar to them. He's probably been in some of their homes. You don't grow up in a city till the time you're 30 years old and go to the same church every Sabbath that you don't know everybody pretty much in that, that church. And so this is not a strange group of people to him. It's very, very familiar. He's very familiar with these people. And there was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is Isaiah 61. I don't know that we'll turn there, but we might in a minute. But he's reading out of Isaiah chapter 61, according to our Bible. But Jesus knew the place. Well, how did he know the place? Because he had read it before. He knew where to find it in the book. And so he finds this place and he reads this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And that acceptable year of the Lord, of course, uh, we won't go into teaching on it tonight, but it is also can be interpreted the year of restoration, which it was the year of Jubilee, uh, and which meant all retained land and ownership of all things went back to the original owners. But he's not teaching that, that he's come to do that. He's talking about salvation comes back to mankind. Man is going to be restored. So this was known... Isaiah 61 was understood to be a messianic uh, prophecy. In other words, if you read this, you knew that this was prophesying of the coming Messiah. So Jesus selects this passage. He stands up. He's in good standing because the minister, in a moment it says he gave the book back to the minister, so the minister or the rabbi allowed him, gave it to him with great permission to stand up. And so still he's in good standings with everybody. He's probably looking around, everybody's smiling. You know, I got friends in the house. Probably was a much, you know, probably a packed out house. Uh, you know, if you got one major synagogue in a city, everybody's there unless they have multiple services during the, during the day. But Jesus stands up, he reads this, and everybody's still happy. Okay, because, okay, yeah, it's a messianic prophecy, messianic promise to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister. So he hands it back to the rabbi, and he sat down. So everybody's looking at him like, okay, we're good with this. That's, that's really good. That's, but... but what what's what's up what are you saying i mean like they're wanting to you know why did he select that why did he say that so he hands the book back to the minister and he sat down and the eyes of all of them were in the synagogue were fastened on him everybody's looking okay i don't know why he read that but maybe we're going to find out and he began to say unto them now here we go this day Oh, here we go, Jesus. You're about to, you are stepping into it <laughs> big time. This day, this day, this, this particular day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, the, the prophecy that, must, that Isaiah prophesied concerning the Messiah, you've just, all of you have had the privilege of hearing that prophecy absolutely fulfilled in your very presence because the one that just read it is the one that was just being read about so all bear all that bear witness wondered at the gracious words and proceed proceeded out of his mouth but watch this and they said they said is not this joseph's son in other words he's saying by what he just said that it's fulfilled that he's the messiah that's that's their 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 absolute understanding 
But they said, no, this is, we know this guy. And he is, we've, he's grew up here. We've seen him in church here since he's been five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old, 25 years old. We've seen him in this, this synagogue all these years. And now he's going to tell us, now he's going to tell us that he's, we know who he is that says that they said, he said, um, it's not this Joseph's son. And he said unto them, you know, bless, bless Jesus' darling heart. He couldn't, he couldn't just stop. He had to say more. You will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we've heard done in Capernaum, and that's where he actually moves his headquarters to, do also here in thy country, meaning in this city. And he said unto them, truly or verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. That's Elijah. So how he pronounced it. And when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent except unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Now, when he says this, well, let me read the next verse also. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eli Elisius, Elisius, and that's El um, Elisha, which was the protege of Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up. Now, here is friends. And all of a sudden, the same rage that, you know, the same rage that killed Stephen, the mass rage, that was that same rage on them. It says here, and they... And when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. These are people that he's seen he's probably all his life. And led him unto the brow of the hill whereupon their city was built, that they might cast him headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. Now, I've seen pictures of Nazareth, and there's a, there's a brow of a cliff, and their intention was to push him off of that and kill him. That's how enraged they were. But what enraged him? What made them so mad? It wasn't just that it astounded them that he said, I am basically, this scripture is fulfilled. It astounded them that. That astounded them to, for them, him to say that he was the Messiah after all these years. And they began to say, no, we know this man. He's Joseph's son. But yet when Jesus begins to identify their pride, he gives them two examples that absolutely infuriated them. He gives them first the example of Elijah who went to a widow in Zidon and minister to her well it's it um let me back up he says but i tell you the truth verse 25 many widows were in israel in the days of elias that's elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months let's turn uh to this portion of scripture let's look at it but i'll read the rest of it when a great famine was throughout all the land but unto none of them was elias sent save unto to Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a widow that uh, to a woman that was a widow. Go to First Kings chapter seventeen. 
One of the things that made them so infuriated was Jesus was identifying their pride. And the way that he examines or the way that he puts their pride in front of them is to let them know that the only person that got ministered to during directly from God during the time of Elijah when there was a famine as a result of a drought was a widow woman from Sidon or Zidon however you pronounce it two places different but she was a she wasn't a Jewish woman she was a Gentile woman with no promises no covenant and yet what we see is because she yielded herself in humility God met her need now let's look at um Let's look at verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, verse 1 of 17, who was in the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, now remember who Ahab is. He's that mean, wicked guy, and his wife is Jezebel, and they're, you, you got two, you got, you got a pair of the same kind. They are, they are bad news. They're wicked. And he said unto Ahab, as the Lord... God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, and he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass, after a while, that the brook dried up, because there was, had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth unto Zidon, and dwell there behold i have commanded watch this the lord had already spoken to this how he spoke to her i don't know but he spoke he said i have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee so he arose and went to seraphath zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city behold the widow woman was there gathering up or gathering of sticks and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise and behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in, dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the lord sendeth rain which is going to be based on however long this was after his pronouncement i don't know how long he was at the brook brook cherith but if he wasn't there very long uh, it, it seems to me it wouldn't take long for if there's a drought for a small stream to start drying up so this is early into the famine it's early the the drought lasts three and a half years of course the famine is because of the drought and uh, so this is going to be a long duration of God supplying for this woman. And he says in the barrel of meal, and, or he says, um, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Amen.
So let's, uh, I should have had you keep your place in, in, in Luke chapter 4, but I'm turning back there. But Jesus says to them, he said, um, to no one was Elijah sent. See, they're, they're arguing over, we know this man. And he's going to identify their, their pride and the way that he does that and what gets him almost thrown off the brow of the, the, the mountain there at Nazareth is that he not only identifies their pride, he does it in a way to say, look, you know this, that in the history, because they all knew the history, when there was a drought, Elijah the prophet, the Jewish prophet, did, was not sent to anyone in Israel to provide for them except a Gentile woman during, in other words, God bypassed all of Israel because of their pride during that time. And he was identifying to the synagogue, you're filled with the same pride. So you're going to miss out on what God wants to do. There's another time, and we probably won't have time tonight to get to it, but there's two places. There's Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 13 that he goes back. It's, not, it's a different time. It's different chronologically. You can read the events, and also if you read through the chronological Bible, you'll find that he gives Nazareth a second chance. He goes back to Nazareth again. And it says there he could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. They still had not changed. Now, somebody said, well, it's the sin of familiarity. Well, yes, but also it's the sin of pride. It's an absolute pride that says we know this man. And because we know this man, he, he can't do these works. And he goes back in the middle of his ministry. It's about the middle of his ministry time wise. And he still tries to minister to them. And the word says he, he could not do any mighty works there. No miracles of any sort except lay his hands on a few sick people and got them healed. But he goes on to cite another, another that got him infuriated. It wasn't just that he said, I'm the Messiah. But the first one was, you know, he, he cited this widow woman who wasn't even a Jewish woman. Then he goes on to talk about, Elisha and how that he as a prophet it says and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet this is verse 27 and none of look at this this is amazing to me none of them was cleansed saving Naaman the Syrian of all the lepers that were in Israel that had to be many lepers during that time, Israel had so disintegrated from following God that there was no, not only was there no honor towards God, but there was no miracles coming from God. And we read the story. In fact, why don't we do that? It's in 2 Kings chapter 5. You were just in 1 Kings. Save, save your, you, we may come back to, to Luke chapter 4, but... In 2 Kings chapter 5, we find this story in which Jesus is actually referencing to concerning Elisha the prophet and Naaman the Syrian. Okay, here again, we've got a non-Jewish person being healed or a miracle taking place. And Jesus is saying to all these people sitting at the synagogue of Nazareth, which are all Jews, God bypassed his people during that time to get miracles over to others because of their humility. When the woman hears Elijah, the first, the first prophet that we talked about, when he says to her, when she says, you know, I, I don't have anything to give you. I, I, you know, he says, go fetch me some water. She, there, water was available. Then he says, why don't you fix me a small cake of bread or something? To, she said, glad you brought it up. 
All I've got is a handful in, you know, in there in a, in a box or whatever, however, description. And in a cruise, a little bit of oil to fry this up. Me and my son are going to eat this little, basically, hors d'oeuvre of a meal, and then that's it. We're going to die. He said, look, do what the Lord says first. Do that. He, he, in fact, the word says, he said, fix me a small portion. I don't know what a small She might have went in there and said, okay, listen, <laughs> I only got a handful. <laughs> He's only going to get this much of a handful. <laughs> I don't know. If she, it doesn't say that she fixed it all for him. It just said, he said, give me a small, you know, fix a small portion. She may have come back with something smaller than a biscuit. But it was, she did it. So the example is that she did it. She yielded. She yielded to what the word of the Lord is. Now, here's our application. Our humility, 1 Peter 5 says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that you may be exalted. Our definition of exaltation doesn't have to be redefined tonight our exaltation is not uh getting the biggest church in town you guys being able to say pastor bronx my pastor everybody oh wow we've heard of him you guys are you you guys are you got that big like 500 people church or five you know five thousand or or uh wow you guys have a huge campus and you got you're building another campus and you're our exaltation is not the acclamations and the proclaiming of man or anything that you guys although everything that you do is so appreciated in this church it's not for us to set you up and and say look what these people our exaltation is when the holy spirit will lay his hand on us and trust his power to flow through us that we're dead enough that when we lay our hands on someone, they get healed first time, all the time, every time. All the little babies. That's our exaltation. And the more that you go into him, really the more that you go into him, and I'm not making this up, you wish to God that there was a way, and I don't know how to do it, you wish to God you could just lead a major movement and keep your name out of it and nobody ever even hardly knew who you were but you can't people are going to have to know who you are to get to where you're at so you can't be overly humble in that sense of the word you can't so disguise yourself that people can't find you and know where you're at and how to get to you but humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of god is not you saying look i just took it on the chin they cussed me out and i just i'm real a real humble that's that's here or there that happens sometimes and it doesn't happen praise god you kind of handled it right you humbled yourself humbling ourselves is much more academic on a daily basis than that it's hearing what god says to you personally and choosing his death over any invitation for you to live your life it goes right back to the boat yeah, I, I'd love a boat. I've always wanted one. But I have no idea when I can use it. Because based on my prayer time, my work schedule, and my family, right now, if I used it three times a month, it'd be taking me out of prayer. Or two times a month. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's you choosing his life in, in your life that brings forth the, the exaltation. And it all comes right down to humbling ourselves. Now, um, chapter 5. Did we start yet at all? Okay. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord... Now, look, this is Syrian. This is, this is not Israel, but he's talking about God using somebody else. By him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria... He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. 
And the Syrians had gone out by company and brought away captive out of the land of a little of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, would to God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Syria, Samaria, for he would recover him of this leprosy. Now, I want to stop right there for just a moment. In Luke, it said, Jesus said, identifying their pride, identifying Nazareth's pride and the church's pride as we expand this a little bit. He said there were many lepers, many lepers. But only one leper was cleansed during that whole time period. There may have been hundreds. There may have been thousands. This young lady, this little girl, slave girl, knew that there was power in the prophet. During that day, God was still healing, would heal people. If you could get to the prophet, there wasn't necessarily, you know, the fivefold like we know. But there were prophets in the land. And if you could get to the prophet and he walked in power, you could get a miracle. And she knew that she she loved her, 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 you know, her um, mistress, the lady that was over her. And she loved the Na- Naaman. They must have been good to her. She said, I would to God that he could he could go and see the prophet Elisha. And so the word says here. That he would, he says that he would recover him of his leprosy in verse four. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go to. So he sent his his captain, go to go and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten thousand or ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiments. Now, I'm going to skip down here because it goes into uh, the king of Israel receiving this, and he thought that the king of Syria was trying to pick a quarrel with him. Um, and so he, you know, the king of Israel rents his clothes. And in and, and verse 9, it says, Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, he doesn't even go out to meet him. He says, go wash in Jordan seven times. And thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. And Naaman was wroth or angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better, in other words, where I came from, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean. Then he then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Praise God. We'll just stop right there. So Naaman, this Syrian Gentile who's not a Jew, does not have a covenant. He's the only one. It's not that that God would have not healed others, but we don't. Jesus, by his own record, says there was no leprosy healed in all those years in Israel. Makes me think hardly maybe no other miracles took place except to this Gentile Syrian who came and humbled himself and said, I've, I've, I've been told there's power here. 
he still had to humble himself even more when he says, go wash in muddy Jordan. And he says, oh, there's two rivers at home that are, I could have done this in. This is crazy. But they said, do it. Now, he went and he washed himself. He actually had to physically go out there and, and, and physically do what he was instructed. See, I love, I love when the Holy Spirit tells us the practical things to do. He told the first lady, the prophet said, go in there, fix, fix a meal for me first. Then, after that, fix a meal for you and your son. And I promise you, as long as this drought and famine for the next three, three and a half years, it will continue. You'll, every morning, you'll go back there. There'll be more oil There'll be more meal. You'll always be sustained during this time. To Naaman, go to the river, go in there, dip, not once, not twice, not six times, seven times. The Holy Spirit is very detailed in what He's asking us to do in these last days. He's asking us, to be a pilot group going in, we're breaking the ice. We're like an icebreaker. You know, they have those big icebreakers up in the Arctic, and, they, and, and we're those icebreakers. We don't, we, we don't know what we're doing except through the Holy Spirit. We've never went this way before. But he keeps telling us through the blueprint prophecies, subsequent prophecies, prophecies that we're hearing from Pastor Jim and out in Tulsa, one of the main themes of the Holy Spirit is you have to spend your times at home in prayer. Corporate, he's called us to, but he's asked us to be really faithful. He's asked us to go once, twice. In other words, the example is do it exactly what I've said. And the word says that when Naaman came up, the seventh, now he could have said, once he got there he could have been so disgusted like he has to go out there dip himself all the way down once twice nothing twice he's got servants on the shore he's probably feeling like this is stupid how in the world is this water going to heal me I'm sure after the fourth or fifth or sixth time, he's thinking this is absolutely ridiculous. But he does it the seventh time. What's your point, Pastor? The point is this. We've received and are receiving continual instruction of how to go in. Nazareth got bypassed not only because they said, we know this guy, but there was a, there was a lingering pride inside of them there, there's a there's a pride in the church today and i don't want to i've said this i don't want to make my money or in other words i don't want to stand up here week after week and run other churches down and mega churches i hope every mega church gets it right and takes millions of people into the kingdom of god but there is a sense of we know um we're being blessed of god because we've got a lot of people here and we've got a lot of money. But there is no power. And there is no power because they've left off the initial instruction of what seeking God and humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. So our message tonight is this. Let's continue to humble ourselves. Whatever the cross says to us, what that cross that we pick up daily, whatever it says that, we're, that is sanctified, Enjoy it with great freedom. If, the, if going back to that, that original example, if, the, if, if on the other side, if the cross, if you hold that boat up to the cross and the, and the cross says, you can have it because you have enough time. You have enough time. You're not super swamped. But if the cross says, uh, no, you're having a hard time getting in the prayer that I've already asked you to get, how in the world? You know, our brain will tell us, I got time, I got time, I got time. 
We could, we could just what? Pray on the boat. <laughs> there you go. That's how the flesh thinks. I see. We could just pray on the boat, and that's how the flesh thinks. I think that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. You can pray on the boat. You can speak in, speak in tongues on the boat, right? Yeah, yeah. If you think about that, and if you're not cussing because your line just broke when you're pulling the fish, Hallelujah. Only Corey. <laughs> Thank you, Corey, for being the voice of the flesh. <laughs> maybe it, well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I wanted to say maybe it comes natural, but I don't believe it. I'm so proud of Corey. Aren't you proud of Corey? We've seen him grow in the last two years like incredible. So hallelujah. It's 730. See, aren't I good? To, to you guys I'm so nice to you guys so let's all stand I am determined to follow Jesus hallelujah give me the boat and I'll sell it <laughs> hallelujah Give it to Corey. <laughs> no, no, Corey's doing really good. I don't want to do that to Corey. Hallelujah. Father, I love you and I worship you, glorify you. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Our price has been your blood. And so, Lord, we, I know we're talking to a bunch of people that have already made that decision. But again, we try every way possible to give more examples of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God that we may be exalted to do the things that you've asked us to do. So we love these. We pray that you'll help us to handle them always with, with kit gloves, with loving kindness and, 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 and tender mercies at the same time to continue to provoke ourselves unto good works. So we bless you and we give you all the praise and glory. And God bless all these people in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.